Welcome to the Armani Talk Show, episode 11. Happy December 1st. And it's very crazy to see that we're in the final month of the year. If you're listening from YouTube, be sure to hit that subscribe button, hit that bell notification to stay updated with the latest episodes. And if you're listening to this episode from your podcast provider, be sure to leave me a review whenever you get the chance. Now let's get started with today's episode. One of the newest updates that I have is that I bought a Fitbit recently. And for a long time, I kept thinking about buying this Fitbit, but each time I pushed it off, I thought, you know, I have enough technology as it is. Why bother with a Fitbit? And the people that I knew, which had a Fitbit, they would always say that adding this technology into your life will change your life. And when I heard it framed like that, I didn't like it too much. Because I don't want technology to change my life. Sure, it's great if it is complementing my life, but I don't want it to change it. So when I heard that, I started to have analysis paralysis, and I thought, you know what, let me postpone this. In November, it was my birthday, and when I was asked, hey, what are you going to buy yourself for your birthday, or what gift do you want, that's when I had to think about it. And I couldn't think of anything else but a Fitbit. So once I got the Fitbit, I put it on and I was somewhat skeptical. I thought, you know, let me not hype this thing up too much because it's probably overhyped. The first day that I wore it, it changed my life. And I don't mean this in a uh, hyperbole sort of way. I mean, it really did change my life because what it did was it added numbers into the ambiguous. And what I mean by this is that for a long time, I introduced walking into my life. I've always liked walking. I mean, every morning I begin with a roughly 35 minute to an hour long walk. It's a part of my ritual. But I never viewed walking more than that uh, beyond that scope of time when I was actually walking in the morning. Other than that, I thought it was just busy work. But what the Fitbit does is that it gives a certain amount of calories that a person needs to reach per day. And nowadays, the walking, it's not just busy work. It's a game. One thing that I've noticed about the Fitbit is that it completely changed my perception in regards to a filled parking lot. You ever had that moment before when you go to Walmart at 11 in the morning and the parking lot is filled? 11 in the morning? Come on. I mean, I understand if it's 5 in the uh, p.m. in the evening and it's packed, but 11 in the morning. So I'll go into this packed Walmart. I'll go all the way in the back. And as I'm driving all the way into the back, I start to get defiant. Nah, man, I'm not going to be driving all the way uh, into the back like that and walk all the way to the front, then walk all the way to the back. Screw that. So I would defiantly go back into the front and I would wait until a certain customer would get out from the front. And then I would park there. That's how I used to behave. Nowadays, with the Fitbit, what happens is that I get excited whenever there's a filled parking lot. I'm like, well, I guess I got to park all the way in the back. And it's not just me parking in the back and that's it. The beauty is that now I understand that each step that I take is taking me one step closer to the 3,000 calorie goal burned for the day. My perception changed. And that's what I believe adding numbers to ambiguous tasks can do. It changes the perception in regards to things. It actually gamifies something. I mean, if you understand that a blog takes you an hourish to complete from beginning to end, and one day it takes you one hour and 30 minutes, Unless it was a very complex sort of topic, let's say it's a normal topic that you typically discuss, you're going to feel a certain type of way. You're going to be like, man, what happened today? Ah, I see. I ended up getting that one call from that telemarketer. The telemarketer distracted me. I wanted to get some revenge. So I was you know, playing some games with the telemarketer. And that little spurt had cascading effects. I get why. But the thing is, if no time is being measured, then it just feels like eh, you don't even notice it. 
So that's how the Fitbit has changed my life in many ways, where nowadays there's more numbers to the ambiguous tasks that I was doing. And it allows me to understand, hey, I have some leeway today. Your boy burned roughly 3,000 calories. You know what? I'm going to treat myself to a McChicken. Another thing that this Fitbit has done, and by the way, I'm not going to put any affiliate links or anything for this tool. Uh, I'm just talking about my firsthand experiences. I'm not trying to sell you anything. But another thing that this Fitbit has done is that it showed me that speaking requires you to expend a lot of energy. Certain days, I'll just go for a walk and that's about it. And then I burn, let's say, 2,700 calories for the day. But on another day, every Monday, I record roughly six YouTube videos back to back to back to back. You get it. On those particular days, I noticed myself burning roughly 3,000 to 3,300 calories for the day. And that's when I realized, wait a minute, speaking skills require a lot of energy. I knew about this before because sometimes after I recorded one of these episodes or one of these long podcast episodes, I would feel tired, but I didn't understand that it required so much freaking energy. This is good because if we can add communication skills into our day-to-day lifestyle, then we're just adding more uh, of a vehicle to, you know, get some exercise in. And that's what I view it as nowadays. I I view speaking skills as a form of exercising. We want to exercise because we want to feel good in regards to um, letting our voice loose. Uh, I want to talk about the expressionless face real quick. So recently, I made this video called um, uh, The Stone Face. I haven't released it yet. Maybe by the time you're watching this episode, it's going to be released. Or just check back into the YouTube channel later on. The stone face is when a public speaker has an expressionless face. And the reason that this often happens is because the public speaker normally has an expressionless face, or two, they're very nervous. And whenever we're very nervous, what happens is that our face gets stiff. This is a problem for the audience because the speaker's message isn't quite matching their body language. And even if the audience understands the message, they're not going to get that full impact that they would have if the speaker had uh, a face filled with expression. And this is um, where certain fixes are available. One fix is um, getting in the habit of stretching your face. I don't want to be too specific with giving a person exercises because simply thinking of the concept, stretch my face, will uh, elicit different exercises internally for that given speaker. So whenever I give myself the command, stretch my face, I I think of just getting my fingers loosely uh, touching my skin like this, you know, just anywhere I feel tension, I just loosely do it. When other speakers issue the command, stretch my face, they just begin yawning, like one of these very slow, long yawns. And just like that, their face feels loosened. This is one strategy. Uh, issue the command of stretch my face. Another strategy in order to f- uh, fix the expressionless face is to smile. And not just smile for a little bit, but smile and hold on to it for some time. This isn't easy, by the way, because whenever we're smiling, we're engaging a lot of micro muscles within our face. And I issue you this challenge. A try smiling and holding it for one minute. The initial 10 seconds, it's not going to feel like much. But by the 20 second mark, you're going to start to feel the burn. By the 30 second mark, you're thinking, man, I actually feel pretty good, but I feel pretty bad too. I feel good because endorphins are being released in my brain. But I feel a little bad because I didn't know that smiling required this much work. Once you hit the one-minute mark, what occurs is that now the face is much looser. And when the face is loose, it's easier to get your face to match your message. This is a great way in order for a presenter to add a few more likability points, especially when they're presenting in front of the audience. I do want to talk about that, though. Uh, Likeability points. Should a speaker ever try to get the audience to like them? 
Nah. I mean, there's different philosophies that individuals have. My philosophy has always been, you are the speaker. You have the value. If the audience likes you, great. If they don't, whatever. That's a great mindset, I believe, for people who have given at least 10 speeches to have. But in the beginning stages, you may not have too much confidence, especially on stage. And this is when having little tweaks that help you out will come in handy. You don't even have to frame it as likability points for the audience. We can view it as likability points for us. When we're a newbie speaker, what we can do is focus on the things that we have control over, such as practicing better, such as dressing up, such as combing our hair, such as holding onto a smile so our face loosens up, so our speech matches our body language. These are little tweaks that allows us to feel confident as soon as we get on stage. And when we feel confident, the audience feels confident in giving their attention to us. So there's a lot of different cascading effects that public speaking can be used for. I find it very strange when someone is nervous and they're not even focusing on the little variables that they have control over. We don't always have control over our emotions. There are certain times when we shouldn't feel nervous, but we're feeling nervous. And one of the worst things to tell someone who's feeling nervous is, well, you don't have any reason to feel nervous, so stop feeling nervous. It doesn't work, especially with public speaking, because we have a bunch of eyeballs looking at us. This isn't something that we are wired for. For our ancient ancestors, whenever there were a herd of eyeballs looking at one solo member, it meant that they were about to get ostracized from their tribe. So biologically, we feel as though whenever a bunch of eyeballs are looking at us, that we did something wrong. So even if we're giving a friendly uh, speech, don't judge yourself too much if you're feeling nervous. Biologically, you're reacting a certain way due to the primal ancestors. And I believe if we focus on the things that we have control over, such as fashion, uh, such as smiling a little bit more, such as combing our hair, these stuff will add up. Fashion is very important. And recently, I've been discovering a parallel between fashion and something else. Pictures. You know, guys roast other guys that take pictures. There was this one time I went to Las Vegas and I went for a bachelor party and I knew the groom, but the groom invited a bunch of his other friends that I didn't know like that. Uh, the first couple of days, we ended up uh, getting to know each other. And by our final night there, I guess a lot of us were comfortable with each other to roast each other. I wasn't aware of this, but one of the guys thought he was comfortable enough to roast me. So what happened was we were walking down the streets of Vegas. And if you ever go to Vegas, there's this one tower that looks just like the Eiffel Tower. And I thought that was so cool. I was like, hey, guys, um, wait, one of you guys, take me a picture with the Eiffel Tower in the back. And as soon as I said that, a bunch of the guys were like, what? This guy wants to take a picture? Only girls like to take pictures. And what happened was, uh, a lot of the guys started to look at me sideways, and there was this one guy, let's call him Peter, who was making fun of me a lot. You know, I'm over here standing in front of the Eiffel Tower posing like, yeah, trying to be in the vibe. And he keeps uh, saying, yo, man, that's okay. Look at Armani taking a picture. Ho, <laughs> okay. And he keeps saying that. And I'm over here trying to concentrate, you know, trying to smile. But his criticisms... It's getting louder. Oh, that's gay, bro. I'm telling you, that's gay. And at that point, I'm like, yo, will you shut the hell up? I mean, I'm trying to take a picture. And I said it in a way where I think uh, he got that I wasn't joking around. And he shut up. And what happened afterwards, uh, once I found um, some pictures that I guess I could post on my Instagram, which, by the way, it's on Instagram, Armani Talks underscore. That's my handle. The guy that was making fun of me comes up to me and is like, oh, man, um, you want to take a picture for me, too? I thought he was just saying that because he felt somewhat uh, bad for making fun of me like that. And uh, I was like, all right, whatever. I guess I'll take a picture for you, too. So I take a picture for him. I'm thinking that's the end of it. Nope. 
recently we ended up becoming IG friends, and I noticed that that picture that I took for him in Las Vegas with the Eiffel Tower lookalike in the back, that's his profile uh, picture on IG to this day. I looked at his IG, and that picture is great quality in my opinion, with an amazing backdrop. His other two to three pictures are so freaking bad. It's blurry. It doesn't look good. It makes him look bad. And this guy is a, a dentist, a very charming dentist, a very charming dentist with a lot of money. But if someone were to look at his profile for the first time, they think something about him is off. And that's when I began to realize that these pictures that we are taking, it's very important. It's very important because it presents ourselves in a good light to the public. And I noticed that a lot of guys, they marginalize this. Just like they marginalize fashion, they're like, oh man, fashion, it's for girls. They do the same thing with photography. It's almost identical. Where they say, nah, man, photos, I don't do stuff like that. And what's strange is that it doesn't matter if you want to do stuff like that or not. That's like me sort of saying, I'm not going to write anymore. If you are a part of society, at times, you're going to have to write something. Maybe you're filling out some sort of application. Maybe you have to write a letter of recommendation for a friend who asked you. Maybe you have to respond back to a text because it's an emergency. You saying something like, oh, I'm not going to write anymore, means absolutely nothing because you have to. And nowadays, with photography, it's becoming virtually the same thing. Where if you say, well, I'm not going to take pictures, dude, you're probably going to have to take pictures at some point. Whether it's you're making a LinkedIn profile, you're making a dating profile, maybe you have to give a picture for a certain event that you're attending because the host just wants you to. Pictures are eventually going to be a good thing for you to focus on. And, you know, I'm not a photo connoisseur or anything. I don't know that much about photography. But one thing that I would recommend is that do your best to make sure that the photo is clear and do your best to get you in the picture. A lot of guys, they have this habit of chopping someone else's head off when they're taking a picture and they're like, there, I took it. It looks good, right? No, dude. I mean, half my head is missing. I mean, can you get all of me, please? And, you know, there's more advanced moves such as don't have too much of a background. Zoom in if possible, unless the backdrop is very amazing, sort of like that Eiffel Tower story I was telling you earlier. These are some tips. But I could also talk about what not to do. You know, I was actually setting up a dating profile for one of my old school fraternity bro brothers. And he is a very charming guy. And he is like, man, I don't get enough matches. I think it's because I'm five foot six. Like, no, I know a lot of other five foot six guys getting matches. Let me look at your profile. I look at his profile and it's downright embarrassing. I mean, one of the pictures is of his dog licking his face. I'm like, bro, if I was a girl and I saw that picture, I'd be grossed out that you're pretty much French kissing your dog on your first picture. That's a problem. The other problem is that you're over here, the way that you're standing and the way that you're making your face like, I mean, what are you doing? And as I'm breaking down the news to this guy, he has no clue. He's like, well, what do you mean? I'm just uh, doing my regular face. I'm like, no, your regular face is like this. But in the picture, you're making your face like, like, like you're trying to make yourself have some cheekbones. You don't have cheekbones like that, my dude. Unless you're going to lose weight, do not make that face again. You're doing a duck face. And when I said that to him, he was like, what, what the heck? It was tough love. This is a fraternity brother that I'm very close with. So I'm giving him some tough love. I'm like, yo, let me see your other pictures. And luckily for him, he had a lot of other pictures because he was delving into acting and he had to take headshots and those type of photos. So we were able to work with something. But other guys, if you're like, okay, man, these pictures suck. Let me look at your other pictures. They're like, well, that's all I have. That's all you have? Dude, you having such little pictures in the internet is not good for you at all. And it's so hard for 
me to make other men understand. Girls intuitively get something like this, but making other men understand, it's so freaking difficult. And not only does a photography influence uh, other people's perception of you, it also influences your own perception. So in that same day, when I was uh, over here helping my fraternity brother with um, his dating profile, there was another fraternity brother I was chilling with. And um, this guy I haven't seen in a while. So we're talking. We're like, yo, what's the last time we saw each other? And we're thinking about it. Like, mm, no, not that event, not that event, not that event. Then I was like, wait, wait a minute. We saw each other at KP's wedding. I recall sitting right next to this fraternity brother. And he's like, nope, I didn't go to that wedding. You didn't go to that wedding. No, no, no. You, you did go to that wedding. We were sitting right next to each other. And he's like, nope, wasn't me. I said, yes, it was you. I remember. And he said, trust me, dude. I didn't go to KP's wedding. I was doing X, Y, and Z at the same time. And now we were in a pickle. I can recall seeing him. And he is vehement in saying that he didn't go. Who's right and who's wrong? If we had a photo, we could immediately be like, oh, well, see, you were in the event. But at this point, I was doubting myself. It's like, um, wait a minute, am I thinking of someone else? And we're sitting in silence trying to recall who's right. And then eventually, I just get this epiphany out of the blue moon. At that wedding, his brother was very important for the groom. So, so he had to be a part of all these events. And the brother decided to have this Mr. Pringles mustache to stick out. And I was like to the guy that I was debating with, dude, that was the wedding where your brother had the Mr. Pringles mustache. And when I said that, that's when it started to click. He was like, oh, wait a minute. I was at that wedding. What the heck? I completely forgot about that. So unless one of us recalled the Mr. Pringles scenario, we wouldn't have known. If we had a picture, everything would have been resolved. But notice what I said. At a certain point, even I was doubting myself. I was like, wait a minute, did we go there or not? This happens. I mean, one of my uh, most meaningful trips was to Cosmo, Mexico a couple of years back. I went on a cruise. And if you ever go on a cruise, uh, they eventually stop by the lands and you could explore. I recall doing a bunch of stuff. I recall having this amazing tour guide. She was bringing up a lot of historical topics and making things so freaking compelling. And in 2023, I was trying to recall my trip from 2017, and I was struggling. I mean, I can't recall it in detail. And nowadays, it just feels like I dreamed Cozumel, Mexico. It doesn't feel like I was actually there. If I took pictures, then it would have felt like I was there. You see? So as I'm getting older, I'm understanding the practical utility of taking pictures. It doesn't only affect one's perception with the outside world. It also affects one's perception with oneself. And I believe utilizing photos, especially for guys, if we could make more guys embrace photos, because girls already embrace it, I think it will create a completely different experience in the men's life. So photos are very, very, very important. And it's something that is a bucket list of mine. Like, you know, Armani, you just turned a new level. I don't say years old. I don't say uh, like six years old, seven years old, whatever. I say level six, level seven, level 32. Uh, so I just turned level 32. So every birthday, I end up... Uh, doing something new, incorporating something new into my life that I believe can help me out. And this time around, one of my goals is to take more pictures. Every now and then I get asked the question, well, what's your New Year's resolution, bud? I don't do New Year's resolutions. I do birthday resolutions. And I think I'm lucky because my birthday is late November. So if it's late November, I think it's why would I wait another month to set the New Year's resolution? I might as well do it right now. So I set it on November 27th, which is my birthday. And every year, 
it's as though when it's my birthday, I get an epiphany of doing something outlandish. But this outlandish, outlandish thing helps me with my life. So one of the examples is waking up early. I believe waking up early and committing to it has been a great benefit to my life. Uh, a birthday before was walk, walk in the morning. Okay, get some activity in. It doesn't even have to be walking, but get some activity in in the very beginning. And whenever I set the New Year's resolution for my birthday versus waiting when until everyone else does it, I notice that it sets the birthday off with the right tone. Now, back to the levels thing. See, I don't like years old that much. Whenever someone says 30 years old, years old, it gets a human being to focus on matter way too much. They're focusing on their body, their skin, their bones, etc. But if they think level, what it does is it completely changes the perception. We want to add more levels uh, to our life. We don't want to add more years to our life, if that makes sense. And some may say, well, that's just being delusional, bud. Absolutely not. Because here's what I've noticed. The night routine influences the morning, the morning routine influences the rest of your day. How you set the tone for your birthday, soon as you turn that new uh, age or level, your choice, will influence the entire year. I know individuals that are about to turn 30, and they're just regretting it from the very beginning. And they're being reinforced why they should be dreading turning 30 by outsiders. Well, all right, bud, I mean, say goodbye to your 20s. I feel so sorry for you. Say goodbye to your limbs. Say uh, goodbye to fun. The environment is saying this to the person that's about to turn 30. And now, if the person turning 30 is also reinforcing negative beliefs, do you think their 30s are going to be good? No. But when we say level, what it does is that it gets us mind-focused. And in the land of the mind, experience only helps us. It allows us to get smarter. This is when we could think a lot like data engineers. I mean, if someone deals with artificial intelligence, they get they light up when they hear big data. The more data that they get, the smarter that their artificial intelligence gets. You see? So if we can... Think level, so like level 32, level 33, it sets the right tone. We win the perception side of the game. And when the perception is on our side, now it becomes way easier to tackle life's challenges. We don't view it simply as challenges. We view it as gamifying things. In the beginning of the episode, I was talking about how the Fitbit completely changed my perception of a uh, a filled parking lot. Before, whenever I would see a filled parking lot, I would get annoyed. I thought, man, I got to park all the way in the back. Nowadays, it's a game. Whenever I park in the back, I keep taking these steps, getting closer and closer to my calorie goal for the day. When we gamify something, it turns boring, annoying, and even dreadful tasks into something that we want to do. Whenever someone is like, man, I really want to go to Toastmasters, but I'm terrified, bro. They think I'm going to judge them. They're like, uh, they think I'm going to be like, come on, what kind of idiot gets scared of public speaking? No one's going to hurt you. No one's going to bite you. Just quit being a chicken and do it. Some people like tough love like that. But before public speaking, I don't like to give that much tough love. Instead, I like them to view it in terms of levels, if possible. If they can get that tough love and tackle the beast from the very get-go, which some people can. Some people conquer a fear not by breaking it into levels. They're like, just let me get the beast taken care of from the very beginning. Then I could be scared later if I need to be scared. That's actually how I overcame my fear of dogs. I'll talk about that shortly. Now, with this person that's really afraid to go to Toastmasters, giving a speech right now is out of the question. So what I will say is, how about this? How about you find a Toastmasters near you? And mind you, I used to be the external vice president for my Toastmasters club, along with the social chair, and I would see the most random reasons people would make excuses. Some would say, well, um, 
I worked and after work, I need to watch TV. Not it would be nice to watch TV. I need to watch TV. You'll hear the most random excuses. So I'll say, okay, how about this? Instead of immediately going to the club meeting, find three Toastmasters clubs near you. Can you do that? They'll think about it. And then they'll say, yeah, I mean, I could do something like that. Great. Little do they know, once they do that, they just conquered level one. Now, level two. Yo, bud, did you find those three clubs? I did. Now what? How about you go to one of those clubs today and you sit down? Can you do that? Just sit down in the chair? You don't even want me to give a talk or anything? Nope. Just go into one of the clubs and sit down. They do that. And once they do that, they just conquered level two. For level three, how about you do that again? How about you go back into the club and sit on the chair again? Guy says, well, yeah, I mean, I could do that again. Conquered level three. Even though level three and level two were identical, they did it again. At this point, they're starting to see that they can conquer these micro levels. So by level 10, they're ready to raise their hand and give a talk. Prior to that, there were other levels that they were doing to challenge themselves. This time, how about this? Once the meeting ends, talk to one member and just ask them about their story. What got them into Toastmasters? So as they're doing all these levels, by level 10, they have won the perception side of things. And this is a great way to conquer a fear. Just break it down into levels and conquer it step by step by step. Other times though, the fear is best tackled head on. This is actually what happened with my fear of dogs. I used to be very afraid of dogs growing up because of my brother. My brother was terrified of dogs because he got chased one time. And whenever we would be walking together and he'd see a dog, which wasn't on a leash, he'd run. And when he'd run, the dog began chasing him and me. So I see this uh, dog barking, foam coming out of the mouth. I began running too. And it just kept increasing my fear of dogs, which by the way, is known as sinophobia. I had sinophobia for many years. And whenever I would see a dog, I would get scared if it wasn't on a leash. If it was on a leash, I didn't care. I wouldn't want the dog touching me or anything, but I was really scared when it wasn't on a leash. Fast forward to 2014 or 2015, and I end up living in Virginia for some time, and there was a dog that lived in the house. I was doing this IT job, so a bunch of people would live in this house until they got placed in their permanent role. So we stayed there for training. And it was a mansion. It was in Sterling, Virginia. And I recall, initially, I was in the basement. But basement in Virginia, it's still pretty bougie. It's a very big, nice room. I stayed there. Then there was a second floor and a third floor. One time when I went to the second floor, I saw a dog that wasn't on a leash and a bunch of the roommates just hanging out with this dog. And I was scared of it. So I would wait until the roommates would go to sleep at 2, 3 in the morning. Then they would finally take their dog upstairs. There was a third floor. And finally, I could go to the second floor where the kitchen was and cook. And I would make meals in bulk. So I could get some sandwiches, take it downstairs, and eat it throughout the week. I was like this for a long time because I was just scared of dogs. I didn't like it. I was sinophobic. One day, what happened was I woke up and I was feeling very sick. It was snowing that day and my body didn't know how to handle that. And whenever someone is feeling physically sick, every now and then they get sad. And I was feeling sad because I had spent most of my life in Florida and suddenly I'm living in Virginia. I don't know that many people and I feel homesick. And I'm just lying down, feeling physically exhausted, uh, mentally exhausted. I don't have anyone to call to bring me some Tylenol. So I'm just lying down. And I kid you not, I hear footsteps coming downstairs. I'm thinking it's one of my roommates, but it wasn't. It was the dog. 
And initially, I got really scared. I'm thinking that this dog is going to bite me. But instead of biting me, this dog just sits down right next to me and just keeps me company. And when it was just there, rather than biting me, that's when I was starting to overcome my fear. Prior to that, what I noticed was that every now and then, dogs would like to lick me a lot. And each time they licked me, I don't know if I was aware of it at the time, but I believe when I was getting licked rather than bit, I was slowly overcoming the fear. But I really overcame the fear that day when the dog was literally right next to me without a leash. It's as though I was forcefully being asked to take the beast head on. And just like that, the fear went away. And after that moment, I started to build an affinity for dogs because I didn't view them as monsters anymore. Which, by the way, there are a lot of individuals who are terrified of dogs. And when someone is terrified of dogs, they don't view your cute little puppy as this sweet, innocent creature. They view it as a monster that could bite them, that could give them rabies, that can do these thunderous barks at them. Okay? This is why a lot of y'all need to put your dogs on leashes. I see so many dog owners nowadays, they don't put their dog on a leash, and they find it shocking whenever the argument is made, well, you know, you should put your dog on a leash because other people may not like dogs. They may be terrified. And this irresponsible dog owner is like, scared of dogs? What are you going to tell me next? They're scared of teddy bears too? That's what they think like. It's actually somewhat funny because when I was scared of dogs, I'm talking terrified, I wasn't scared of snakes though. There were plenty of times when I would see someone that had a pet snake and they would feed it a mouse, a whole mouse. A lot of snake owners know this. And every now and then, I would go to a certain event and there was a guy with a big snake around his neck or even a little snake. And I'd ask this person, your snake doesn't bite? The guy would say, no, it's friendly. I'll say, let me put your snake around my neck. And he would let me. And if you want to see the picture, it's on Armani Talks underscore on Instagram. That's my handle. I liked snakes. But you know what? These dog owners that would ridicule other folks for being afraid of dogs, these dog owners didn't like snakes. It didn't matter if I said, well, you know, the snake is friendly. This dog owner doesn't care. That's where they're going to draw the line. It's because they're scared. When they're scared, they're not capable of being logically uh, activated. They're just fearful. And this is why a lot of individuals, when they're scared of dogs, they don't care if you tell them, trust me, dude, my dog doesn't bite. My dog is one of the sweetest creatures out there. For them, what they see is what you see when you see a snake. I guarantee you, I don't know you, but it doesn't matter if the snake is big, if the snake is tiny. When you see a snake, chances are you get scared. It doesn't matter how much logic the snake owner gives you, you are scared. This is why it's very, very important to leash your dogs. Man, I wrote this very detailed piece about leash your dogs on my newsletter, armanitalks.com slash newsletter. Sign up today. And I talked about how, at least where I'm living, I see a lot of dog owners nowadays, they don't put their dogs on leashes, and they're, they use phrases like recall. Oh, don't worry, buddy. Oh, my dog has an amazing recall. And when I hear stuff like that, all I hear is blah, blah, blah. It's just buzzwords that don't mean much. Because any dog, I don't give a damn how trained the dog is, all it takes is one stimulus to set that dog off. You don't know what it's thinking. We don't know what humans are thinking. So why would you assume you know what a dog is thinking? I like dogs at this point, but even though I like it, I feel as though it's very inappropriate to walk around in public places without putting the dog on a leash. There was this day when I was um, about to, I dressed up, I was about to go to this public speaking event, and one of my neighbors, she never puts her dog on a leash. And this is apparently a very old dog, but when I was um, going to my car that day, that dog was running towards me and the owner was like, Bucky, Bucky. And she lost complete control over her dog. 
The dog starts licking me, getting hair all over my dress pants that I just got washed. And as I'm trying to get in my car, the dog gets in my car. It's all over the, the, the driver's seat, the passenger seat, in the back. And it's an intrusion of privacy. And whenever these dog owners lose control over their dogs, rather than rolling up their sleeves and getting their hands dirty, they just stand there like a doofus. This girl is just standing there like, what are we going to do? We? I'm not doing anything. You, get your dog out of my car. And you have actually have to state that. And I'm pretty sure this girl will try to brag and say, oh, my dog has an amazing recall or whatever. But we never know the stimulus that can set off a dog. It's very inappropriate to walk uh, a uh, dog without a leash. And in the future, unless this is corrected immediately, I guarantee you, uh, saying something like, hey, leash your dog, it's going to be seen as a hate statement. Because what happens is that selfish people often empower other selfish people. So this girl, if she continues to walk uh, around with her dog without a leash, she could always justify it, by the way. There's this misconception that selfish people are dumb. They are not. The only difference between a selfless person and a selfish person is the pool of data that they are operating with. A selfish person pretty much just weighs their own database, their own life, while the selfless person weighs their life along with society's life. This selfish person, they could be like, well, why should I put my dog on a leash? I mean, my dog is very old. In its final days, wouldn't it be good that it's not chained up? She could frame this argument in a way where it wins a lot of people over. You see? And now other selfish people are using their own pool of experiences to justify why they shouldn't leash their dogs. More time goes on by, and nowadays, it's the wild, wild west. You're living in first world countries with dogs running all over the place. Some dogs lose their temper uh, and bite someone. Other dogs, they don't lose their temper, but they're terrifying someone that's afraid of dogs, uh, causing them to drop their grocery bags. Other ones are uh, just jumping around in someone's car. It's the wild, wild west. And if someone says, hey, leash your dog, it's going to be seen as a hate statement. Someone's going to say, whoa, whoa, buddy, buddy, relax. We don't need, need to use language like that. I saw that actually when I was working in Subway. A lot of Spanish people would come and they would order in Spanish. No concern for the workers at all. And they'd speak rapidly. We'll say, whoa, whoa, buddy, we don't speak Spanish. Can you please order this in English? Huh? So they couldn't speak English at all. So we're telling them to slow down, point the order, uh, point what they want for their order. And now they're rolling their eyes like, lechuga, lechuga. And if someone would say, hey, learn to speak English, if we say that nowadays, that's seen as a racist statement among many people. It's like, whoa, whoa, buddy, come on, man. Do you know where how America was founded, blah, blah, blah? They'll say stuff like this, where in reality, telling people to learn to speak English in the U.S., it's not a racist statement. It's a practical statement. And if you don't want to learn to speak English, completely fine. Pull out the translator in your phone and learn to translate yourself so you're not making other people's life more inconvenient. Okay? It's going to be the same thing with leisure dogs unless we nip it in the butt right now. I believe if people are walking their dogs without a leash in public places where they shouldn't be uh, walking their dogs without a leash, I think it should be at least a $500 fine. And I wouldn't be against a $5,000 fine. We got to nip it in the bud right now. And if someone brings that up, by the way, it's like, hey, uh, officer, this guy should be leashing their dogs. This person that's raising the concern is going to be labeled a Karen. Karens are so overused nowadays. A Karen is someone who apparently blows small things out of proportion. And by the way, during my time in Subway, when I was working there, I actually met Karens. Karens love to go to fast food spots, and they all have the same haircut. Uh, basically, when I was working in the Subway in the mall, this was around 2007, when the promotion... A $5 foot long was blowing up. But here's the annoying thing. 
in the subways in the mall, they didn't have $5 footlongs for all of their subs. It was only for a, a specific few. Now imagine trying to explain this to someone who just saw the $5 footlong commercial. They come with enthusiasm with their family to Subway for me to tell them, oh, sorry, uh, ma'am, it's only these limited subs in the mall. What? Sorry, ma'am. Uh, for the mall subways, it's only for uh, $5 footlong for these limited subs. Well, let me speak to your manager. So I saw a lot of Karens. And as time went on by, I thought, man, these people really need to be called out. And in 2020, they were getting called out. This is when the Karen movement rose. And we would see so many archetypes like this. They all have a similar haircut. And if they don't have a similar haircut, they all have the similar personality. They're blowing small things out of proportion. They're saying stuff like, well, let me speak to your manager. And it was a bad look for them. Because if they were caught on tape behaving like that, and then they were tracked down, and the people that tracked them down sent that footage to their employer, these Karens were swiftly fired. This was needed. The Karen movement was needed, and it was needed for the past one to two years. But what I noticed around 2023 is that the pendulum had swung too far. Eventually, people who weren't really Karens, they were just regular folks that were voicing their concerns due to being placed in an uh, in a unjustifiable position, were viewed as Karens. I actually saw this TikTok recently of these idiot streamers harassing this guy at a Target. And this guy was just trying to shop. And they're just harassing him. And this guy finds out he's being recorded and says, hey, I don't want to be recorded. And now the streamers see a reaction from this guy. So he suddenly becomes content fodder. They start harassing him more. And this guy who's being harassed goes to the Target security and tells on the streamers that entire clip is chopped up and posted on TikTok saying, Mill Karen calls the security on us. And everyone is bashing the guy that is being harassed and praising the people doing the harassing. Nowadays, the Karen movement has gone too far and I see the pendulum swinging the other way. For the past two years, the videos that went viral are the videos that showcased these Karens but in 2024, I believe what's going to go viral are the comments within these videos, more specifically comments that are adding context to the situation. Wait, wait, I see everyone calling this guy a Karen, but wait a minute. I mean, put yourself in his shoes. He just got out of bed and decided to do some errands for the day, doesn't feel dressed up, but who's really going to dress up when they're going to Target? They go to Target and suddenly uh, he's being harassed by a bunch of these streamers and then he finds out when he's not looking his most presentable self that he's being recorded without his permission. What kind of nonsense is this? This guy's not a Karen. These streamers are simply bullies. When someone writes a sensible comment like that, I believe that is eventually going to go viral starting next year because the pendulum has swung too far. A lot of individuals who are not really Karens, they're only sticking up for themselves, are being labeled Karens, and that's not fair. Therefore, the pendulum is going to swing. Within society, there's a lot of taboo nowadays about being angry in public, but I don't believe this is a good idea to have. A lot of the times, a person who is angry in public is justifiably upset. I mean, imagine that a person goes to McDonald's and waits 45 minutes for chicken nuggets, and they're not being given any updates. After the 20-minute mark, they're thinking, okay, well, I've already waited 20 minutes. Let me wait maybe five more minutes. They finally ask, uh, get an update from one of the workers who says it'll be ready in five minutes. And then they end up waiting another 20 minutes. If this person gets angry, I'm not hating on the guy. I would recommend that he doesn't get angry. And in a logical world, I would say that he doesn't get angry. But in the real world, where there's a bunch of complex entities, aka humans interacting with one another, 
anger is bound to happen. And that's when we have to be able to distinguish uh, between anger that is justifiable versus anger that is completely unnecessary. If a person is tailgating and then just crashing into the car, that is anger that is unnecessary because they could have just switched lanes. But anger that I believe is justifiable is when when money is being taken advantage of. If you're going to take the entire money that I'm about to give you and you're going to pout if I don't give you a tip, you better give top quality service. And if the top quality service isn't there, then I wouldn't be too surprised if the customer is angry. You see? So I believe there needs to be a distinguishing factor between anger that is needed and anger that is not. And, you know, when I moved into this place, 2019, there was uh, this day when my internet wasn't working. I was paying for money, but the internet wasn't working. So I called them. And there's this lady that is showing this attitude. She doesn't want to be there. And I said, look, this issue happened last week. I asked the gentleman to escalate it. He escalated it. And we were able to get it resolved that same day because he sent someone that same day. But this lady was telling me that she couldn't send someone for one week. Just imagine, no internet at my place for one week. Now, the people who are going to miss the point will say, well, why don't you go to Starbucks? That's besides the point. If I'm going to pay full money, I'm not going to waste one week without internet, especially when I run an internet-based business. So I tell her, look, lady, you need to do two things. Either restart my server, which I guess some technical people know how to do, or send someone to my place today, not even tomorrow, and especially not next week. And she clearly doesn't want to be there. She's like, yeah, I can't do it, blah, 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 blah. (sighs) Unfortunately, I got to get my Karen mode on. I need to talk to your manager. So she eventually brings her manager. And mind you, me and her are going back and forth, back and forth. It's getting really heated. I'm not going to try to paint myself as, oh, I was just being the sweet guy. Nope, I was getting pretty heated. Her manager eventually gets on. And you could tell that she explained the situation in a very biased sort of way because she was getting heated too. But by the time the manager came on, he came on with this presupposition that he was about to get yelled at. So he came on very defensive. Sir, I believe my representative told you everything you need to know. No, dude. She didn't tell me everything I need to know. She is operating with faulty information. I'm telling you, literally what's happening to me today happened one week ago. You have two options. You could restart the server so I get access back to the internet, or you send someone who's technically capable to restart the server. Do you get me, my dude? And he's not getting me. So I begin yelling at him. And now he's getting somewhat scared. I think he understands that this this means business. He's like, all right, sir, whatever. I, I guess I could restart it. So he got someone to restart it. And then just like that, the internet came back on. And I told him, all right, the internet is back. And he thought I was going to say, oh, I told you so. But I didn't. Instead, I left with a lesson. I understood the concept of strategic anger. Because here's what would have happened. If I was this polite guy, like, gee, listen, Mr. All right, take all the time you need. One week, why not take two weeks? That's not how it works in the real fucking world. In the real world, every now and then, you need to get angry to get things done. Other people, they don't take their job seriously. And due to them not taking their job seriously, you're not capable of doing your job. And if you're not capable of doing your job, the people that you serve suffer. So now it's a judgment call. It's as though, am I just going to be polite and have my time wasted, as well as other people, my clients' time wasted? Or am I going to exercise strategic anger? By the time I got my internet back that day, I was uh, capable of helping this one gentleman who was this introverted entrepreneur. We had our breakthrough moment, that particular meeting, and we just had a bunch of um, breakthrough meetings uh, from there. But it was that moment where I had him do something, where I just said, is there anyone around you right now? No. Yell as loud as you can. 
initially he was embarrassed. Nah, nah, man. I, uh, why? 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 Just do it. Nah, nah, man. Nah, nah, man. We're not ending the session until you scream as loud as you can. Uh, that was his first scream. Uh, come on, bro. You, you could do better than that. We're not ending this meeting until you yell at the top of your lungs. Uh, and we did that at least seven times until there was a switch that got activated and he yelled as loud as he could. And when he found himself yelling like that, he extended it. He yelled for such a long time and then he was done. And I could see sweat beads on the top of his head and he was huffing and puffing. I don't know if this guy was about to get a heart attack or if he was feeling like he was on top of the mountain. Luckily, it was the latter. He was feeling so bold, so confident. My goodness, I feel so good, man. Thank you. And when you yell like that, when you think you can't, it shatters so many limiting beliefs at once. It bulldozes through it. And for our future meetings, he knew that he could do it. And if he knew he could do it, he could post some videos on LinkedIn. He already recorded a bunch of these videos. He just didn't want to publish it. But that day, after yelling like that, he published it. Now, how would it have been if I said, hey, buddy, we can't have our meeting today because I don't have the internet. Or I say, hey, buddy, uh, hold on. I'm going to Starbucks in order to, for us to do our meeting. And then uh, in Starbucks, there's all this background noise. It doesn't feel personal. I tell him to yell. And then he's like, oh, no, no, no. You think I'm going to be screaming in Starbucks like, come on, bro, yell, yell. You think I'm going to be doing something like that? There's cascading effects. So I don't regret at all what I did by yelling at that lady and yelling at her manager because in the bigger picture, it ended up working out. I believe this idea that you can never get angry in public is a very flawed idea. And surprisingly, it encourages bad behavior. There is such a thing as toxic kindness, like where you're being so kind to a point where the other person is completely blind to bad behavior. That's not a good thing. That's a very bad thing. And that too has cascading effects because now in the future, this manager would think if a future client says, hey, restart the server, this manager will feel boldened to say, oh, no, trust me. There was another one of you torps a couple of days ago uh, that tried to push me around. That's not going to happen. And he's going to feel more courage to exercise bad behavior. So I view a lot of these guys as bullies, these guys that get so much sympathy nowadays as the uh, rise of the Karen movement happened. I can't wait for the pendulum to swing. And a lot of people who get paid to do a certain job begin to do that certain job, not with an attitude, but with a smile on their face. That's the way that it should be. 2023 was a blast. It is about to end. And I believe uh, if anyone is looking for some encouragement to do a New Year's resolution, I believe before setting that New Year's resolution, it can't only be operating with positivity. There needs to be some anguish, some desperation as well. I mean, if you have been talking about losing weight for so freaking long and you're still chubby, simply having the New Year's resolution of, oh, I hope that I can lose some weight is not going to cut it. It may cut it for the first week or two, but it's not going to be powerful to get you through the entire year. What I would recommend is you first start off with darkness. What is you being chubby devolving you into? Are you feeling fat? Are you looking fat in pictures? Are you feeling tired quicker? I mean, get very dark with it and then create the light at the end of the tunnel. Just like the battery has a negative sign and a positive sign, our hearts also have a negative sign and a positive sign. If you're only engaging the positive sign, it will not create any voltage. But if you engage the positive and the negative signs, that is when you create voltage and you create meaningful change in your life. So the next time I'm going to see you is 2024. So hopefully you have the battery of your heart activated 
and you start to tackle a lot of your New Year's resolutions. And if you're smart, when you're watching this, you're beginning your New Year's resolution today. That would be the end of today's episode. If you liked it, uh, be sure to stay subscribed on YouTube. Hit that bell notification. If you're listening on a podcast provider, uh, be sure to uh, leave me a review. If you're listening on Twitter, uh, be sure to repost this video. Share it on your social media of choice. Thank you very much for joining me, and I wish you the best for the end of the year. Thank you.